has, uh, Jose brought us this Let's Go series. He started with Micah. And he started with Micah chapter 4, verse 2. And here it is on the screen. And as I reread this in preparation, I thought this is the perfect outline for a message, for the message. And it says, many nations shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. And I thought, why do you want to go there? And he said, so the Lord can teach us his ways. And why does he want to do that? So that we can walk in his path. It's so logical, right? Not that all is logical, but we go up to the mountain so that we can learn from the Lord, so that we can walk in his ways. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We are going to go mountain climbing. Y'all ready? Tie your wig on. Okay? The part I didn't tell you is during that worship part, the Lord had me writing some um, notes on my notes. He either edited this message or he has added to it. So you might want to give me a five-minute warning. (laughs) Okay, so here we go. Okay, so mountain climbing. My husband, Paul, and I were just privileged to be able to live in Whitefish, Montana for seven years. It's about 23 miles from Glacier National Park. We had the Columbia Mountain Range right outside our window and Big Mountain, which is a ski resort. And there are times where you could see the top of the mountain, you could see the ski runs, or you could just see the trails, you know, on the grass in the summer when it wasn't covered with snow. But you couldn't see the middle, mount, the middle part of the mountain or below the mountain. It looked like this. This is called an inversion, it's a cloud inversion or temperature inversion. And what causes this is that the air on the top of the mountain is warmer than it is at the base of the mountain. Okay, so for mountain climbers and skiers, you know, this can be kind of scary. You know, we ski, and so if you're at the top, you're great, except you can't see down. If you're at the bottom and you're trying to go up, it's kind of, you know, woo-woo, because you can't see up. And so we're just following the trail that zigzags across the mountain. And fog is kind of funky in that it kind of makes you wet and cold, okay? So, but we're climbing this mountain right here. We're all going together. So I'm going to walk us up there, and you just envision this as as I take you there. Okay. So in this picture, this fog represents our life here on earth. All the things that distract us, that tempt us, are all in that fog. So if we're going to climb this mountain and get there without being weighed down and burdened and exhausted from the weight, as we start up this mountain, we're going to start leaving things behind. We're going to leave things that ring, buzz, and ding. We're going to leave our iPhones. You, I love this. You won't find Wi-Fi here, but you will get connected. Okay? We're going to leave our iPhones and our iPads and our AirPods and the remote control to the TV and the DVD. We're leaving all that stuff behind. We're leaving it all behind. None of it is worth anything up here. Can't use it. Additionally, we're going to leave worries, all this, you know, our day in and day stuff. We're going to leave worries, anxieties, fears, fears about the past, the future. We're leaving it all behind. Not taking any of that with us up there. 
First John 2.15 does an excellent job um, being very succinct about what we need to leave behind. And he, and he says, hey, these are the things you need to leave behind because the things of this world, he goes, you don't want to love the things of this world because God doesn't love the things of this world. And the things of this world look like this. They're the desires of our flesh. That's all of our cravings, right? The lust of our eyes, leave that behind. That's about all the materialism, leave it behind. And the pride of life, I love how he defines this. It's the boasting about what we do and what we have. Leave it behind. He says, leave it behind because it's all dying. There's no reason to carry all this stuff up here because it's dying. He said, and the world is passing away along with all its desires. But the man who is in the will of God lives forever, amen? The man who is in the will of God. So we climb up that mountain, dropping the things off in that cloud bank as we get to the top. We get to the top and remember that it's warmer up there than it was below. The sun is out, and so we just tip our head back just a little bit and feel the warmth of the sun as it warms us, dries our jacket off from the fog, takes that chill away. We're up here. I love this picture. To me, it looks like worship and surrender. Worshiping God, surrendering all the things of the earth. So what do we do when we get up there? Now we're up there, and we're right there. And what do we do when we get to the top of the mountain, when we get alone with God? This is you and him. Me and him. That's it. No distance, no separation. Me and him. You and him. When we get up there, we worship, we surrender, and we wait. I'm going to tell you a little story about the word wait. You all might have heard of the one word that changes your life. It was a book written by John Gordon, J-O-N, Gordon, and it's about asking God at the beginning of every year to give you a word that you can meditate on, that you can study, that you can learn from. And it's just one word. And you do that for a whole year. Well, this was about 15 years ago or so. Anyway, so my daughter told me about it, and our daughter. And so I said, I'm going to do that. So I prayed and I asked the Lord to give me a word. And he gave me the word wait. And that's a great word. It's just not a great word for me. I'm not a waiter. And I like to get things done. Waiting, mm, not so much. Wait sounded like wasted to me. So I do what I call, I have a debate with the Lord. And we talk about it because I'm like, I, you know, let's look at other words. I offer words that could be a substitute for the word wait. Okay, I call it a debate, but let's just be really honest. It's not a debate. Technically, it's a monologue. I am the only one talking. So at some time during this debate time, 
I was talking to our son and um, telling him about this one word thing and about how I prayed for the word and God gave me the word wait and that we were debating and blah, blah, blah. And kind of towards the end of the conversation, he goes, mom, can I ask you a question about that debate thing? And I was like, sure. He said, have you ever won one of those? (laughs) Okay, so seriously, I'm not going to answer that question. There is no reason to repeat the obvious. So instead of answering it, however, because you don't have to answer every question that you're asked, what I ended up saying surprised me. Have y'all ever said something and the minute it's out of your mouth, you thought, where did that come from? And that happened to me. Because I said, when all is said and done, I feel heard. I feel seen. And what I didn't say, but what I thought was, I feel loved. And isn't that what we all want? And that's a great spot for that to happen. You are seen. You are heard. And you are loved. So I took on that word. He won that one. And um, during that year, I learned a lot about the word wait. So here's a fun fact. The word wait shows up over 140 times in scripture. 140 times. Here's a few of my favorite. I'm not going to show you all 140 of them, but here's a few of my favorite. Lamentations, I love this one. I say to myself, oh Lord, you are my portion. Therefore, I shall wait upon you. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for God. Why? Because he is my salvation. For God alone, there's my object, for God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is in him. In Psalm 40, I wait patiently for the Lord. And I love how one translation, it says, he leans near and hears my cry. So the next year, after all this learning, and I prayed for a new word, and as luck would have it, he gave me the word wait again. (laughs) Now, y'all don't go speculating about why that happened. Y'all are out there saying, oh, I see why you had to go around the mountain two times. So the second year, um, he taught me two very powerful things in addition to the things he taught me the first year. Uh, But one thing I want you to know, that's just a flat out fact, waiting is never wasted time when you're with the Lord. Waiting is never wasted time. I don't care how much time you spend, how, how you know, fast your life works, not one single second that you spend with the Lord is wasted. Period, full stop. Okay. All right, so the next year, year two, this is what he taught me, amongst other things. He took the word wait, W-A-I-T, and he turned it into a phrase. <clears throat> Why am I talking? That was for me, not him, by the way. 
just in case you're... Yeah, here's the, here's the thing about God. He's not going to interrupt you. So if you keep talking, he's not going to, okay? He does not interrupt you. So, but he was not scolding me. He was helping me grow. Why am I talking? And here's one of the things that he taught me is that, remember how we talked about in order to feel loved, we need to feel heard? Well, we need to listen to the people who talk to us so that they feel heard and they feel loved. It is a, listening is a form of worship. It is a part of obedience. It is serving. Listening is serving. And so I actually have a little three by five index card on my desk that says, why am I talking? To hold me in check. So that's what he taught me here too. So what are we waiting for? We're waiting for God to talk to us. We're waiting for God to tell us what he'd want to do. Well, we want to join God where he is. So God's agenda, you want to know what that is, right? Because we have to know what that is in order to jump in there. God's agenda is loving people. We can't find anything contrary in the Bible to that. That's why he came in the first place. God's agenda is loving people. And I have to surrender my agenda in order to be available for his. I have to quit thinking about what I'm thinking about so that I can think about what he's thinking about. And I know what he's thinking about. He's thinking about loving people. So how do I do that? How do I love people? Well, it's not always easy to serve. So let me tell you a little story about that. Um, my husband and I, for over 30 years, have supported uh, crisis pregnancy ministries. It started in Houston. And we went to a fundraiser and heard stories, and it touched our heart, and we decided together, the Lord brought it to us, that that was where we needed to serve. So financially, that's where we began to serve, and, and he's never released us from that, from that day to this, so we continue to do that. But that was just kind of the first step. The second step was later when we moved here, we had a friend from church who um, said to me, uh, actually, she said to my husband and I, she said, um, I would like y'all to consider um, going to training and becoming counselors at the Pregnancy Resource Center. It was called the Crisis, Resource, Crisis Pregnancy Center at the time. And I had been to enough fundraisers, so I, I knew the stories about what happened in those counseling rooms. So I, I said, no, thank you. That's just, no, thank you. And I said, no, thank you, and she asked again. And I said, no, thank you, and she asked again. And finally, I did this. I went up to the mountain, and I said, what would you have me do? Which is actually kind of a great question to ask in your waiting time up there because it's a nice, big, broad, open-ended question, and he can touch a lot of places in our lives when you say, what would you have me do? Because he can say, I'd like you to stop doing that. I'd like you to start doing this. He can bring to mind places that he wants you to serve. So I went there and I said, what would you have me to do? And he said, serve. And so we did. And here's what I can tell you <clears throat> about serving when God sends you. God is never, ever going to grow your responsibility 
without growing your character. God does not grow your responsibility without growing your character. That can be uncomfortable, but that's what happens. So we started serving, and um, I did that for, I don't know, 15 years or so. And I can tell you that when we were in Montana, um, there was a, a crisis pregnancy there, and I served, and I don't even know how many days I would call my husband on my way home from, from, it was called Clear Choice Clinic, and I would be crying. I would be in tears. And I would be saying things like, I cannot do this. I cannot come back here. I cannot hear one more story that breaks my heart. I cannot watch these men and women make decisions that break their hearts forever. I can't do it. All the way home. And the next Thursday, I'd be back at the clinic. And the next Thursday, I'd be driving home and I'd call Paul to tell him I'm on my way home and I would be saying, you are never gonna believe what's happened. You cannot even imagine the miracles that I saw firsthand here today. And ladies and gentlemen, I am not talking about just sonograms. Babies are miracles, no question, no question. But I was privileged to see changed hearts, changed hearts. And I can also tell you, I know this is a cliche, okay? And I know that there's young people and they're going, they're going to roll your eyes at me to say, we've heard that a million times from our mom. Let me just tell you, when you're my, my age, you're going to be telling this to your kids and they're going to be rolling their eyes at you when you say, he always gives you back more than you give. You get more back in blessing than you can ever bless. It happens every time. And Crisis Pregnancy Center is only one organization where you can serve. I'm not, I'm not promoting them specifically. I'm saying there's all kind of places that we can serve. You can serve right here in your church community, in hugs and, and back in the AV system, in security. You can, there's millions of places where you can serve. You don't have to start something new. You can just go find out where God's working and jump right in. <laughs> okay, I might go over two minutes, Jose, but I got to tell this story. So a couple, <laughs> a couple years later, when we had lived here, I had been going to an in-depth Bible study for only about five years. And this lady called me Karen Meeks, I'll never forget it. She called me and she said, Mary, she said, we would really like you to, um, you know, help facilitate a, a women's Bible study. And, and right there, I didn't even pray about it. I said, you know what, Karen, that's not going to work for me. Thank you for asking me. I'm honored, but that's not going to work. And she was like, no, no, I, I really want, would you just pray? Because, you know, none of us are qualified. So we, that's the first thing we say. And she said, would you just pray about it? And do you know what I said to her? I said, Karen, I have only been, you know, studying the Bible in depth about five years. I can't find the books without those tabs in my Bible. I mean, you don't want a leader who can't find the books without their tabs. To me, that was like the clincher. There was this pregnant pause, and she said, would you just pray about it? I thought, what is wrong with her? So right then and there, this is a true story, right then and there. I'll never forget where I was. I was upstairs at our house. I thought, oh my gosh, so I set the phone down and I went over to this chair that had a horrible pattern on it and I knelt down and I prayed right there. I prayed right there. I was like, Lord, 
I cannot find the books of the Bible without the tabs. And I said, seriously, what would you have me do? And he said, serve. <laughs> so I thought, okay, so, so here's the thing, right? If you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, right? If you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have had a supernatural event. You have had a supernatural encounter. You are a walking, talking supernatural encounter. You have the spirit of the Lord living inside you. Why would he do that? So that you can run off and do things on your own? I doubt it. I don't know about you, but without him, things fall apart. We just sang about that, right? Okay, so he said serve. So we're up on that mountain and we hear what he says. He says serve. So he grows up our responsibility in due time. And by the way, I'm looking at y'all. You're so young and beautiful. This is not an old person thing, okay? I'm a boomer and beyond. This is not just about us, okay? This is not a boomer thing. This is not just a student thing. This is an everybody thing. This is a Christ follower thing. So, we come down off that mountain, and what, we do, what do we do? Well, we come down because we are to represent him here on earth. You know the definition of representing somebody? A person cho chosen or appointed to act or speak for another. That's the definition. For us, for those of us who have the Holy Spirit... That appointed word is anointed. You are chosen and anointed to act and speak on the behalf of Jesus. Okay, so let's take that word apart. Let's take represent apart. When we represent somebody, we represent them. We're presenting them again. We cannot do that without the power of the Holy Spirit. We sang a song this morning that said, we were singing to Jesus and it said, he is a way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. That is who he is. That's who he says we are. So that's how we re-present him through the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so in Luke, right before Jesus ascended into heaven, he said, don't go anywhere. Okay, these are the 11 that have been with him for three years, seen his miracles, done miracles, right? And he says, y'all don't go anywhere. Do not leave the city until the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, until you are clothed 
in the power of the Holy Spirit. Those were the disciples. So we are not to go on our own, but we are to go in the power of the Holy Spirit. He is supernatural. He lives in you. Jesus says you can do everything he did. He wants you to represent him, represent him as he really is. So some of y'all are hearing the word serve and are connecting it to works. So here's how we keep those separate, safely separate. So both in Matthew and in Mark, they talk about why Jesus came. And it says why he didn't come first. He did not come to be served, but he came to serve and to give his life. First John says, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. In other words, we're not serving with intention and talk. We're serving with feet and walk. First John also says, let's love one another. Let us love one another. Why do we want to do that? Because everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. That's why we do it. And one of my favorites, Ephesians, I love this because I like to take it apart. Who are we? We are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, service. Which God did what? Prepared in advance for us. You're not making this stuff up on your own. This was prepared in advance. He will tell you where he needs to go. We can be led by the Holy Spirit into the exact place where we need to serve. Prepared beforehand that we should walk in it. God's agenda is loving people. And to represent him or to represent him, we have to do the same thing. Service is an act of worship, just like our worship this morning. It is an act of worship. So let's talk about service and works. Works comes from a mentality of the human motive. You got a list, you want to put a check mark in it, in the box, that's works. You want to do it so that you can have it on your list of things you've done for the church this year? That's works. If it is for anyone other than Jesus, it's works. Serving out of love looks different. It's a motive thing. And serving out of love comes from a heart filled with the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. That's where it starts. Because the Holy Spirit has one motive. And this is how we know. Is it works or is it service out of love? The Holy Spirit has one motive. And that is to make Jesus known. So that's why we do what we do. To make Jesus known. So, it's a big challenge. But let me tell you, that any time, and you, you know this, the people who 
have served the Lord because he's asked you to serve and you've served with the power of your Holy, his Holy Spirit, you know this. When we serve in the power of the Holy Spirit, it is not laborious. It is not burdensome. It is joy-filled. Even those tears that I cried, those were God's tears. He cried with me for those bad decisions and those stories. He cried with me. But on the other side, when I was praising him for his miracles, he received his glory. And that's what we do when we serve. We serve out of obedience and love, and it gives God the glory. So our challenge this week is to go higher. Remember, we talked about going higher, going deeper, and going further. So to go higher, we need to find a place that we can get up on this mountaintop alone with God, just you and him, just me and him. We go higher so that we can go deeper. This is where we hear him if we will wait. Remember what wait stands for? <laughs> Why am I talking? <laughs> so when you're here, we have to find a place that we can be quiet and say, what would you have me do? So we surrender our agenda. We listen to the Holy Spirit and then to go further, back in 1 John 3, 18, love with actions and in truth. We are here to represent Jesus. In this series, we have learned how to represent him in our families, in our marriages, in our communities. Today, he calls us to represent him in our city, in an organization, in an association, in some calling here from the church, he'll tell you and he will use you for his glory by the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit that's living within you. Let us go and serve our city like only he can and represent him well. Amen. Amen.